0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. You guys, I have a fantastic interview lined up for you guys this week. I have just been so impatiently waiting for Rachel from Sage Family to come on the podcast. We've had this interview lined up for, I feel like, a couple months, a really long time. I was on her podcast last year, and we had an amazing conversation, so I knew that I had to have her on my podcast as well, and several weeks ago, when we first scheduled an April interview, we had no idea, obviously, that we would be in the middle of the pandemic and all of this accidental homeschooling and all of this being stuck at home with our kids and our partners more than normal and and everything that's going on with all of this. And so this conversation with Rachel was almost serendipitous. Like it is the breath of fresh air that you might be craving right now. If you're getting stir crazy with kids being home all day with, you know, everything that's going on right now. Um, she is just such a gentle, beautiful soul. And I I just adore her so much. And this was such a great conversation. So fun. And I could talk to her for hours on end. Um, but Rachel is from Sage Family. Like I mentioned, she hosts a podcast over there. She has a great blog. She also has books and classes and coaching. And she is just an advocate for gentle parenting, natural homeschooling, simple living. But she also has a MA in marriage and family therapy. And decades of experience guiding families to peace and joy. And so as she explains, you know, she has the hippie heart, but also the master's degree and the decades of experience to back up everything that she teaches. And that is why I just love her style because she has that perfect blend of like, hey, I'm living this, I'm experiencing this, and also I have the education to back this up and that's why I value her advice so, so much. Plus, she's just such a joy to follow on social media. Her website is gorgeous. Her Instagram is always fun to follow. She's from the Pacific Northwest, and she has three kids, and um, her and I just have so much in common and with the love of the outdoors and all of those things. So we are really going to dig into a lot of questions that you guys had regarding homeschooling And gentle parenting and just like coexisting with our kids and how we can be better at it and how we can really just, you know, do life together as a family and um, just so many great questions that you guys had. So thank you if you sent a question. It really helped our outline come together and helped us have a lot of great things to talk about. So thank you if you sent questions and we answered every question that was sent in. So thank you so much for that. And before we dig into the interview, I have a new free fun download for you guys. I made a set of eight phone backgrounds for free. Just to give your phone an upbeat spring vibe. I know a lot of us are needing some extra positivity in our lives right now. So I was sitting around watching Netflix the other day, honestly. And I was just making some fun phone backgrounds. And I figured I would share them with you guys. So if you are interested in downloading the whole set of eight phone background you can go to the link in the show notes and find the fun free downloads link and you can go over and get that whole set for yourself for free or you can go to a sunnysideuplife.com slash free downloads and you can see not only this fun free download but also a couple of other ones that i have on the website for you guys so i hope you enjoy those and now let's jump into the interview and welcome rachel Hey everyone, I'm here with Rachel, and I am so excited for you guys to get
1: to know her. So welcome, and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thanks for having me. First, it was such a pleasure to have you on the Sage Family Podcast, so... It's totally my shameless fault. I was like, "Hey, you should have me on your podcast so we can talk some you more." You were actually on my list for 2020.
0: I just hadn't gotten to messaging you yet. And then whenever you reshared my interview, I was like, "This is like, we need to do this." So it's time.
1: It's time. <laughs> okay, yeah. so I have three kids who are 14. 11 and 8 and we are a gentle parenting natural homeschooling simple living family those are like the values of my work but those are also the values that I live I have a master's degree in marital and family therapy I have decades of experience working with kids and families and then what I do now is that I have um, a business where I support parents and helping them to get connected with these values too so Um, I have the Sage Family Podcast. I have um, the Sage Homeschooling book and several other books in that series. And then I do coaching with families all over the world. So that's probably, I would say, my main avenue of support is through coaching. And then um, I'm pretty active on Instagram too. So a lot of people. I love
0: following you on Instagram. And your house is beautiful, where you live is beautiful. Like just the things that you guys do are beautiful. Like you guys are just so fun to follow. And oh, especially you. as a fellow homeschooler of three kids and nature lover I feel like our families have a lot in common and I know we talked about that on your podcast we talked for like two hours or something on your podcast (laughs) it was just like my kids were at a sleepover and so I had all the time in the world and we were just like going it was such a good conversation um and I love how in your bio you're like yeah there's a lot of like hippie stuff going on, but also like I've got the master's degree and like the education to back up what I'm teaching you. So it's not just like some off the wall advice. Like you are so educated in this and you have lived this. And so I just always value your advice. So
1: I know everyone else will too. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Like there's like this heart center to this type of work. That's so intuitive and yeah. emotion-based, but then it's kind of nice to have somebody else who's a total like geek for all of this stuff, who just, just loves to dive into all the research and comb through all the findings, all the evidence-based practices to like bring those two together it can be very empowering, especially if you have family members or community that will choose to live and parent differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, so
0: one of the questions that I get all the time, and I'm sure you do too, is why homeschooling? Why? Like, how have you, have you always homeschooled? How, how did you get into this? Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah. So when I had my first, like we were living a great life and we had this great connection and then I was supposed to. Like give her away and send her to this place where they're gonna like work on her mind yeah. for the majority of the day, and that didn't feel right. And yet, I didn't really know there was another option. Like, I didn't know anyone who homeschooled. I didn't know anything about it. So I figured, well, every this is what everybody else does. Which any t- that should be a red flag anytime yep. that's your <laughs> rationale for making. If a that's choice. your reason, well, you yes. know, everyone, <laughs> everyone else, is, else helping, is doing it. So let's go. <laughs> so we tried it and all of my concerns going into it were completely validated. Mm-hmm. She did not enjoy sitting still and quiet at a desk for like six hours a day, filling out worksheets. Like it's, it's just, you know, she would have to sit there And be quiet and still, not talk to anyone and fill out paperwork. And then she'd get home and we'd want to like go out on nature hikes and discover all this wildlife or have all these engaging conversations that come up through real life. But she was just exhausted and started becoming resistant to that like natural, she was losing that natural curiosity, that Mm -hmm. love of learning. It's like this flame was just getting extinguished. So we pulled her out. And we started off doing like school at home, which was uh, which is what I bet a lot of families it's are. It's very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of families I think are in that stage of de-schooling with this pandemic that we're in the middle of where, okay, you've pulled out of school and now you're sort of trying to replicate school at home. And that is miserable. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just say that was, that was a very short lived season for us because I really tried to open my mind up and allow her to show me how she learned. And of course, all that like nerdy, you know, education and, and research and reading all the books and looking at all the studies came together to show me that, oh, that's actually not how human beings learn. Like, so let's try getting out into the world and following her passions and her interests. And sure enough, the more I leaned into that trust, like the more incredible, meaningful, lasting learning took place. Yeah, exactly. We were you know, I feel like poor oldest
0: children. I'm also an oldest child, but I feel like our oldest children are such our Guinea pigs and bless their hearts. Like my (laughs) oldest has been through it with me. And I was, I was actually homeschooled myself. So I already had that, you know, I was kind of, it was a lot of back and forth. So I had half homeschool, half public school, but in bits and pieces and all over the place. Um, And my husband had a little bit of the same experience as well. So we were both very mixed match educated and we (laughs) both came out fine. So we were like, either way, it's going to, it's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. You know? And so it was more of like, what feels right? What aligns with our family goals, like our long-term goals and it just came time to send my oldest to school. And I was just like, no, like I, and it's nothing against teachers specifically because my brother-in-law is a teacher and he is fantastic at what he does. But for us, it just didn't feel right.
1: Um, And so- Public school educators are one of the fastest growing groups of homeschoolers. Yeah. So most, a, a lot of the- Teachers who are working in the schools are coming home and homeschooling their kids mm. so they'll have like split schedules with their spouses or they'll like work out arrangements Or they retire from teaching and move into a different field that I know several people who have done
0: that I know, um, one of uh, one of the families in our homeschool group She was a kindergarten teacher and then her middle daughter got sick and it was just like she was like no Like what are we doing? <laughs> like i'm gonna be home and and so you know, it's nothing against like teachers specifically. Um, People ask me that sometimes they're like, is your like your brother-in-law like cool with what you're doing? I'm like, we've had that discussion. Like he's good. He knows like this is for our family. But really what it boiled down to was I want, I genuinely want to do life with my kids. I I just want us to do life together and we do everything together. I mean, 98% of the stuff (laughs) is Mama needs her time, but you know, we do life together, you know, and they are such amazing little people and they learn so easily. Wasn't it, wasn't it on your story that you asked, um, like what people learn that they don't need like
1: flashcards? Was that your story? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The question was something like, what, what's one thing that kids are, were forced to do in school that is completely unnecessary. They they just learn in life. Yeah. There's so like the example I used in that story was that I, I, it it was prompted because I kept seeing, you know, again, with all these kids coming home, I kept seeing all these parents posting photos of themselves, setting up a homeschooling space where they have like the calendar on the wall where, but not like an actual functional calendar. It's like the day of the week and the date and they're making their kids like recite all these things every morning. I'm like, It just occurred to me, like, have you ever met an adult who didn't know how time works? I mean, time is a little
0: hard for us right now because everything is out of whack. But usually it's like we have homeschool group on Monday, dance class on Tuesday. You know, we have certain things we do on Wednesday's trash night. You know, I mean, just like natural things that, and and now my kids are, that's how they judge the days of the week. And so
1: they're super thrown off. But You know, um, yeah. I mean, if you tell your kid, we're going to go to the zoo with your friend on Friday, like they're going to pull out a calendar and figure out how many days until Friday. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's nowhere in the world where people need to be taught how their culture tracks time. Like Mm -hmm. it's not something that needs to be drilled in through rote memorization or daily recitation. And that was just a really simple example that you can extend to a million other things. Colors
0: was a big one for me. I remember my oldest <laughs> sitting down with flash cards and like oh matching games and bless her heart. And she, but, but with my other two, I never did that. It's like, Oh, you want to wear the pink shirt or the blue shirt? And they find out real quick what's pink and what's blue. And you do mm-hmm. that when they're like one or two and mm-hmm. they know their colors and it's like that simple. And it's just so much it's life. It's life school. And yes, you know, and I, I love it. I love it so much. Um, so let's move into a little bit more of the like gentle parenting. I know we have questions from the listeners and some of them are about homeschooling as well. Um, so we can get back to that a little bit more, but explain to us exactly what gentle parenting means and kind of how you got into that as well.
1: Yeah, I think gentle parenting basically means that connection and respect are let's, so let's make it real simple. Connection is what you set your compass to when you're gentle parenting. So every word that you speak, every action that you engage in, every interaction you're either moving toward or away from, like you're either nourishing or you're like taking away from damaging however you wanna put it. So it's basically just a, a way of calibrating the parenting choices that you make. You Every word that you speak, you want to be nourishing that bond that the two of you share. And it's actually really amazing that once you have that compass calibrated in that direction, s- So everything else on that parenting spectrum really falls into place. Like you're no longer scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. Everything just gets really, really simplified. You know, if your kids, you're asking them to leave and they're sitting on the floor crying, not wanting to put their shoes on. Well, what's the priority in this moment? The priority is connection. So that's really simple. So I'll sit down on the floor with my kid and talk to them about what's going on and how can I help. Um, and inadvertently, we get to our destination a lot faster Mm -hmm. than if I had risen up in a power struggle and tried to enforce my control and my top down rules. um, And then they would rebel against that and there'd be Mm -hmm. tantrums. I mean, it's so much more effective and efficient, which is usually I, I don't want to be sexist, but it is usually how the dads get hooked into gentle parenting. Yeah. The mothers typically come to me from like a heart space or like an ethical, moral, like children need to be respected as human beings space, mm-hmm. which I'm a hundred percent on board with. Okay. And the dads usually come with a more logical, um, effectiveness uh, hook.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we kind of have a little bit of that struggle in our house as well. But the more that we talk it out, as as husband and wife you know at, at we he's kind of like come around to that and I've see him stop and like go and sit down with them and try to like talk it out and it's not his first instinct and it's just it's very different for him but I think that when a lot of people hear gentle parenting they think like Passive oh my gosh parenting. <laughs> yeah, like it is just seems like how do you never lose your patience? How do you like what do you do when the the kids are in in those tantrum situations and you're just you're stressed and you you're already losing losing it and yeah. what do you do to start to gradually, you know, move into that if that hasn't been your norm for parenting?
1: Well, first of all, most of us, that is, this is not our natural inclination Mm -hmm. because most of us were raised on the mainstream parenting and educational path. So we come with this suitcase full of baggage, particularly on the mainstream parenting path because there's such a steep power differential. Mm -hmm. A lot of parents are trying to reclaim a sense of control and power in their relationship with kids because it's, quote unquote, their turn, you know, like they had no power when they were growing up and now it's their turn. And of course, not on a conscious level, you know, all all parents start off trying to do the best they can. But really gentle parenting, the work of gentle parenting is actually about um, healing and growing and evolving ourselves. It's really not about doing anything to our children. It's about seeing our children as sovereign human beings, deserving of respect. And we collaborate together for our peaceful coexistence. Really the work of gentle parenting is in learning how to manage yourself. So I think that's a big first step is just to recognize that like if something is upsetting your child, The problem is not your child being upset, like everybody gets to have their feelings. The problem is your reaction to that. Um, So it's really, and that's really the bulk of what I help families with is like the, when the rubber meets the road, what's triggering you? What's behind that trigger? Like what? Is the first time you can remember having an experience like this, but you were on the other side, you were the kid. How did the people in your life respond? And then like with really practical tools, like mindfulness, meditation exercises, um, again, not all woo-woo kind of stuff, but like journaling, like there's a lot of like really practical things. And then giving parents like really simple, concrete steps to move through in challenging situations that happen on repeat. So like if there's something, if there's some unmet need in the child or some lagging skill in the child that's creating these moments of conflicts regularly, um, just working out a plan so that they know exactly what to say and exactly what to do every time that comes up. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, One of our questions was
0: just like, how how do you not just scream at your child (laughs) when that is what has been normal for so long? And she was asking like, It's to the point where, and I, it was, I'm still kind of weaning myself and my kids off this form of discipline. They wait for you to lose your cool. They wait for you to scream until they respond because that's what they're used to. That's the pattern that's been established. Exactly. And I, I remember early in my parenting, I remember my mom saying that my mom told me, she's like, she's going to wait until you lose your cool because- she knows that's the last, you know, she knows that's when to listen. Um, and she, so my mom would tell me whisper at them until they're like, what, what is she Mm doing? Like, this is so weird. I like crouched down to their level. Um, so what is your advice? Like when you just feel like they won't, they don't listen until I lose my cool. So what, what do I do? How do I break that habit?
1: Yeah. I think like the, the, The fix for that is going to be really specific depending on the kids' needs and the parents' needs. Um, But the bottom line is that if you're screaming, you've waited too long Mm -hmm. to address the issue. So a lot of times our kids will be doing something that, that we're hearing an alarm inside of us about and we just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it until we can't ignore it anymore and then we blow up um, we hesitate to invest that energy on the front end, but then you end up expending so much more energy on the back end by throwing a tantrum yourself. And then you have to clean up the mess and try and apologize. And then they don't, they're not going to cooperate with anything else for the rest of the day. And they're and, crying and they're yes, yes in a it, and- <laughs> Exactly. It is it is so much more efficient, again, that word efficient, to invest the energy on the front end. So, as soon as you see your kid doing something that triggers something in you, as soon as you feel that trigger, pause what you're doing and connect with that. Like, get in touch with why is this a problem for me right now? What's happening inside of me? What are the thoughts that are bubbling up? Where's the tension in my body? What, am, you know, how can I? feel this and accept it and be okay with it. And and then so after that moment of connection with yourself, then you connect with your child and you guys can collaborate. So then instead of just standing up there on high and yelling at your kid um, to try and control their behavior, get down on their level and connect with them. Like, oh, I I see that you've pulled out a whole bunch of dishes. And it looks like you're heading over to the sink. I'm wondering, what's the plan? Like, what are you thinking would be fun to do right now? And just get curious and connect with them and then collaborate. So this is the key. And this is like the respectful discipline or positive discipline, if you will, piece, is that you can express your concern or your need. They can express their need or their concern. And then you guys can collaborate around a solution that addresses both of those. So you might say, I'm worried that if you're pouring water on the wood floor, it might damage the floor. Do you have any ideas about how you could play with water and it wouldn't damage the floor so that I wouldn't have to worry about that? And they might say, oh, well, yeah, if you want to help me carry these over, I can set them up on the table. Or I can move over to the entryway where there's the different floor. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. That sounds great. Oh, I have an idea. How about we can we lay down a towel? Like, or, and then my kid the other day was like, I don't want to do it on a towel, but what if I make like a towel bumper? So like. (laughs) goes that direction, it will like be stopped before it hits the wall. I'm like, perfect, great. Like, so like connect together as allies and as partners. It's about like positioning yourself as an ally. And then the collaboration part really flows naturally from that. And interestingly, when you take that approach, then all of the really smart, safe, um, practical decisions are not just coming from you. You're training your kids' minds to think about those things. You know, if they pull out those glasses next time and they want to play with water, they're going to be thinking about those things. Whereas if you just came in and yelled at them and took it all away, they've learned nothing. Yeah.
0: And that's, I think that's where a lot of us were raised in that because I said so. And a lot of it was like, okay, but I kind of like, I don't understand, like I need a reason, you know, and I still do it because I said so every once in a while, but (laughs) usually I try really hard to explain because honestly, they don't, they don't know, they don't understand why they don't, you know, they need to
1: know why. And Mm -hmm. even though that gets kind of tiring sometimes, but you know, it is. And invite them into the solutions. So sometimes when I'm telling, when my kids are saying why to me. And I feel that inclination to be like, because I said so, that's a signal for me that I didn't actually connect and collaborate with them. Like I just told them something. When really, they come up with amazing ideas. Mm -hmm. And if you like humbly express your concerns to them, they are totally willing to meet your needs because you're also willing to meet their needs. If They have a need to run right now. And you're in a space where they can't run, sit down on the floor with them and talk about that and come up with ideas.
0: Right. Exactly. I have gotten better about when my husband is at work because he's gone for three weeks. And so that is, you know, challenging solo parenting for three weeks. And especially dinner time on is like, train wreck city sometimes. (laughs) And I have gotten better about, instead of just yelling, we need to clean up so we can go to bed. We, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that saying guys, I am really tired. Like I'm Mm. feeling tired. It's time to pick up because we're getting tired, you know, or when I'm getting stressed out, I'll stop and say, look, I'm really stressed out right now and this is what i need and so and then i'm seeing that i'm seeing them come back to me with that okay i realize i'm actually tired i'm actually stressed i'm actually hungry instead of just freaking out and yes. actually like communicating what is the real problem but it's hard for me to stop and say why am i grumpy <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. actually i'm just
1: tired guys like i'm tired Yes. And you can't expect your kids to self-actualize beyond where you are. Right. So, I mean, a lot of parents will complain about emotional regulation, but then really they're not in touch with how they're feeling or why they're feeling that way. um, And they're throwing a lot of tantrums. Right. (laughs) And kids are doing the same thing. I have to, you know, I'm, I'm better at communicating with
0: them. You know, it's hard for me when daddy's at work because look, I'm doing all the chores by myself and, you know, I'm doing all this stuff that daddy would usually help me with and, you know, showing them that it's okay that it's hard when he's at work. It's, you know, it's okay that it's hard on them because it's hard on me too. And Mm -hmm. we're, we're in this together. And I've, I've seen that really help a lot.
1: Yeah. And it's okay to feel your feelings. Like I think in our culture, so many problems stem from avoiding discomfort. And it's this tremendous gift that we can give our kids and this tremendous advantage that we can give ourselves. If we learn to be okay, feeling our feelings and to not try and react in an attempt to escape from, from feeling them. Exactly. Um,
0: so, another one of our questions was about aggression between siblings. And so, what advice would you
1: give them in that situation? Yeah. So, my household is like, no, we no violence in the home. So, to be clear, we my kids are rowdy and they rough house and they wrestle and we're completely on board with all that, but there's consent. So that's like the collaboration piece. Like you guys want to run, tackle each other. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, 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 cool. So my concern is that you're going to do that to someone when they're not wanting their body touched. And we always have to respect body autonomy. So the role modeling for that piece is something that often gets overlooked. So if you don't respect your child's bodily autonomy, they are not going to respect their sibling's body autonomy. Mm -hmm. So if when they are frustrating you, you grab them and move them. Um, uh, If you do things against their will to their bodies, then they will do that to their siblings. Of course, when you're doing it, it might not look like hitting. It might look like something that is completely just in your mind feels justified or is very practical. Um, Like I said, get off the chair, you know, and you pull them off the chair. That's the same thing, you know, when they're hitting their siblings. So just to be super aware of how respectful you are being toward their body autonomy. If you want the siblings to get consent before touching each other, then you need to get consent before touching your kids. So, my concern when you're up here on this chair is that the chair is going to tip. Can I help you down? Um, and if they say no, then you can again keep collaborating. Okay, well, the chair is tipping. What should I do? Do you want me to hold the chair for you? You know, just right. sort of talk through it. But I always get consent before I touch my kids. And I mean, they'll run up and hug, whatever. We right. touch each other But like, if I'm going to do something that I suspect they are not going to like, I will always get their consent first and it's game changing. And right. that's really significant in how they are touching each other. That's the really other piece is that often when siblings are each other, it, hitting each other, it's because A, they have no other way of resolving the conflict. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the script to follow through. They don't have the parental support in terms of boundaries to back them up, whatever the issue is, they don't have what they need to resolve it any other way. Because hitting really is sort of a last ditch effort on the part of kids. Um, and then also they're having, you're putting some expectations on them that are unreasonable. So uh, my language right now sounds kind of blamey and I don't mean it to be No, just like, It's great. It's great relay the information. Um, but so for example, I talked to a mom just the other day who has two year old twins and she said like they're constantly being aggressive with each other. Two year olds are actually not capable of interactive play. Um, together like without your direct involvement. So if your expectation is off for them, if you put one toy set on the floor and then you go do something else, they, that is not developmentally appropriate. There's no way that they could navigate that peacefully. Mm -hmm. They just don't have that development yet. So it can be something simple as like laying out two different blankets and you put one toy set on one and one toy set on the other. So they're playing near each other. Um, It's called parallel play, but they're working on their own things. that's a, a just an example of like a really simple shift you can make in the environment or in your approach that will provide more appropriate expectations. Um, and then just to really pay close attention to um, the prevention piece, kids will always give you cues before they get before they lose their cool. Um, so, really get to know your specific child and look for, listen for those cues that they are reaching, they are exhausting their skill set. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you want to intervene before the hitting happens. So, that's where all the really valuable learning takes place. Because if you can jump in right before that happens, you can show them another way. to meet their goal or to get their need met, you can help them walk through another way and they can feel what it feels like, hear what the words sound like and see how that plays out. Um, That is really, really, really the most powerful thing that you can do if your kids are, if you're seeing a lot of aggression in your kids. Yeah, that's great. Um, so
0: another one of our questions was advice for independent play. We actually got this question twice. Um, (laughs) so if, how would you go about starting to introduce independent play? If that's something that hasn't been happening? Yeah,
1: I think that again, the appropriate expectation thing, um, and also the getting to know your individual child thing. For example, my firstborn needs to be talking and conversing. Uh, and now that she's 14, it's fine. Like, but, yeah. but, but when she was younger, independent play for her looked like her having an activity and she's working on it and playing with it. But she's also talking. Like, and, everyone's, and I need to respond every once in a while. So I was actually in grad school when she was born. Um, and so lots of like studying and and whatnot, um, but also like, so, so it's just sort of like redefining what independent play means based on your individual child. Um, my youngest is really physical, really gross motor. So if I am looking for him to be engaged independently in play for a significant amount of time, I know that it's going to need a physical component. If I set him down at the table with art supplies, that's going to, he's not gonna be doing that independently for any significant amount of time. If I set up an obstacle course for him, like that's hours of independent play. So just to get to know your kids really, really well and to be accepting of whatever their needs are. Because if I told my firstborn, like I can't talk, so for the next hour you need to play independently and you can't talk to me, that just wouldn't have worked. We would have both felt like failures. (laughs) It wouldn't wouldn't have flown. So you just sort of have to hold the space for what their actual needs are in this season based on their like unique way of being and their innate personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so
0: what about, what about the aspect of discipline as far as one of our questions was like how to be as gentle as possible in terms of like your child needing like a timeout or something like that. And wh- how do you approach that and how can she start to move
1: into more of a gentle form of discipline? Yeah, so I think that when people ask the question about discipline, they're really focused on the tail end. Mm-hmm. So in that example you gave about like siblings being aggressive with each other, mm-hmm. the word discipline really from me Pulls my attention to the after effect, like, and that ignores all of the, all of the stuff in front of it, which is really where the gentle parenting happens. Now, if say I've, I was, the stove was boiling over whatever, I ran to get something and I missed it. I'm still going to be connecting and collaborating. So I'm still going to be getting down on their level and saying, Oh, it looks like you're having a really hard time right now. how can I help? And maybe they'll just be talking about, she took the toy and she, you felt like the toy was in your hands and then it was gone. And now you see that she is carrying it. So you're, you're reflecting back to them, their experience and, trying to remove the blame as you do. So you notice like in that reflection, I didn't say like, she stole that from you. (laughs) Right. Well, it was in your hands and now it's gone. And you see that she's like just reflecting and validating and that near instantly disarms the upset. So when a kid has flipped into that state of emotional dysregulation, they can't hear your words. Like they're, Mm. they're, they're not going to be able to have a rational conversation about how to move forward. Um, go apologize, you know, go sit in timeout. Like that, that has no learning value at all whatsoever. Right. It doesn't help them. Most discipline is really just retribution. Like you, you made me suffer, now I'm going to make you suffer. And kids don't learn anything from that. So if your goal is to actually help them to do better next time they're in that situation, then making them feel hurt it, it doesn't really accomplish that goal. Right. I think that's great. That is awesome advice. Um,
0: <laughs> another one of our questions was having the husband cooperate, <laughs> um, and you know how to kind of get your husband on board with this whole idea of the gentle parenting. like you mentioned earlier, it is usually kind of harder for the fathers. Um, so what do you say in that situation?
1: Yeah. Well, like one of the foundations for gentle parenting is that I'm not trying to create a person like this, this person, my child already exists. And the parenting quote unquote that I'm doing is just to navigate coexisting peacefully together and to nurture our connection and our bond. But I respect that they are their own person and they get to make their own choices and they get to grow into being whoever they choose to be. And I have to extend that same foundation to my partner. So it was really profound for me on my journey when I was able to let go of my attachment to my husband's relationship with our children. So I get to have my relationship with our children and that is within my control. Like I control how I show up in these moments with my kids. That's completely within my control. Mm -hmm. What is not in my control is how my husband chooses to show up in his interactions and relationships with our kids. So that was really helpful for me when I when I had that sort of epiphany. Hard. That I, it's so hard. It's so though. hard. But like, man, I'm such a hypocrite. I'm going on and on and on about how we have to respect the sovereignty of these human beings. And then I'm like feeling such a strong desire to make my husband be this person right. and do these things. So what I've actually learned is that the most impactful and powerful influence you have over your partner is just being the person you want to be growing and evolving into the parent that you want to become, and they are they are absolutely affected by that. It's impossible to not be affected by the growth of someone that you're in connection with. so the the better you get at the gentle parenting, the more influence it will have over their parenting because they're going to see that it works really well. (laughs) Like it's, you know, if you take things away, they, they, they do it five more times that day. Whereas if you sit down with them and you talk through it and you find out what their actual need is and give them a better way to meet it, then like the problem is solved and it doesn't happen again. So it's, it's impossible to not see that. Yeah. That's
0: awesome advice. <laughs> um, another one of our questions was in terms of like simple living and, and how that relates to your kids as far as like the toys, like wanting all the toys and being involved in all the activities and all the things. And I know you just posted about your son and his wardrobe. Was that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking I had like two days before that, gotten done got just had got done um ordering my kids their summer clothes and I was like if my nine-year-old was to see that small of a wardrobe she would freak <laughs> out like that is just I mean her shelves are crammed at every shirt I pull out and she's like I love it I, I mean and we're pretty minimal I mean we live in a two-bedroom yeah. house we're pretty minimal so we do the whole do you still love it kind of thing every time mm-hmm. we purchase clothes and she loves every single shirt <laughs> Um, so how do you kind of balance that and, and keep, you know, to your own family's motto and guidelines and values and help interpret that to your children?
1: Yeah, I think the first and foremost is the role modeling piece, like that they're being raised in this house of minimalists. So they don't necessarily know that there's another way. Like I have a one week wardrobe, the older have a one-week wardrobe so when the eight-year-old grows to a new size and we need to get new things I mean he doesn't really have not that we like hide it from him but he doesn't yeah. have any familiarity with people hoarding 500 things in a yeah. closet so I think that's first and foremost and then the second thing is like sort of tip is that space boundaries can be really really helpful mm-hmm. um so for example you can say um, like here's your box for pants, like, yes. you, so however many pants you want to keep, like they, they just have to fit in this drawer. You can keep as many That's or what as we many. do.
0: That's how I keep hers at bay. Like they, they all three share a room and they have a three shelf, um, three, you know, and in their closet and they each have their own shelf. And I'm like, when your shelf is full, it's full yes. and she will still like cram it. It all fits. <laughs> I promise it all fits. <laughs> Um, And the other girls, they're like halfway full. Like they're just, they're totally fine, but not her. (laughs) That has been really helpful for us. But it's also trying to like balance my challenge with that has been balancing like her love of fashion and like Mm -hmm. being this diva kind of, you know, girl and the, the space confinement that has been a challenge to like, to balance that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think like the space boundaries are helpful. Also having conversations around, like you can have everything, just not all at once. Right. Like as a homeschooler, I mean, let's say art supplies, for example, my kids have been exposed to and have worked and created with such a wide variety of different art materials. Mm-hmm. And at any given time, we only have like two, Right. <laughs> like, yeah. so, so, you know, say your kid comes to you and says they really want to try wearing a feather boa and integrate that into their wardrobe. Like, awesome. Okay. So, like, where's that going to go in your shelf? Like, is there a spot for it? And, and if there's not, like, okay, well, we're in the spring, we'll be redoing your wardrobe. Do you want me to write it down so that, like, when the spring comes mm-hmm. and you're going to be putting away your winter coat, maybe you'll have, like, more space and we can add, like, the boa to that list? Sure. Awesome. So, how having conversations about, about living those values in a really practical way can be, can be helpful to having thinking in terms of space, but also thinking in terms of time.
0: I love that. Um, would you pass that same advice on to things like extracurricular activities and
1: things like that, that take up time? Yep. yep it, absolutely. So like my kids, the The general rule of thumb is that they do um, like we don't ever any one kid wouldn't ever be doing more than two activities mm-hmm. um, season to season because I try and make it so that they're all doing something in the same place at the same time yes. but the general like the absolute limit, like no kid would ever be doing more than two activities at any one time, but so say they've signed up for rock climbing and it's an eight week program, um, and then they say they want to do. Tennis or one of my kids. What did he say yesterday? He wants to do this lifeguard training program and I said awesome as soon as like the hip-hop class ends like we can sign you up for the lifeguard training program the next session that starts after that so Yes, you can do all things, you just can't do them all at the same time. That's definitely my oldest. We have
0: limited her to two and she's doing dance and soccer. And she's like, and I want to do karate and I want to do swimming (laughs) and I want to, you know. And then my middle daughter is in zero activities and she's (laughs) trying to recruit the other sibling. She literally has told her sisters, get on my team. We're the do nothing team. (laughs) like oh my gosh they're so polar
1: opposite so
0: it's it's interesting um but we definitely
1: we try and balance it out too in like the style of activity so before all the pandemic started they were in a physical activity and they were in music Um, There's like a homeschool band program Mm -hmm. that we were involved in and other seasons, maybe we're in like a family rewilding program that meets once a week, or maybe we're at the family learning program where the kids can take different elective style classes. So I try and um, invite them to expand their conception a bit to incorporate like some balance. But ultimately, again, I respect their sovereignty and their autonomy and their self-directed interests and passions. So ultimately, if my kid was like, I am so passionate about rock climbing and karate, and those are the, I would love to do both of those things. As long as I can find a way to make it happen, like with our schedule and locations and it's offered and whatnot, then I will absolutely make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Um, So a little more towards the homeschooling aspect. Um, one of the questions we got was how to make sure that homeschool teachings are at the same level or above the level of public education. So what is your answer on that?
1: Oh, I love this question. I, do too. I love to like dismantle the <laughs> Yes. notion. And I know
0: that a lot of people are really freaking out right now that yeah. their kids aren't in school. And I've heard so much of they're going to fall behind. They're going to fall behind. And I know you answered this on your Instagram story and I loved how you put it. Um, so share with us your take on that.
1: Yeah, just that there is no behinds. I mean, exactly. the, the school's timeline is completely arbitrary. Like, I need everybody to know this. If you dig into, like, the history of school system and how all of these curriculums and unit studies and timelines are created, they're completely arbitrary. They're not based on child development <laughs> or, or any of that. So no, there's no, like biological reason why a kid needs to learn about the pyramids in sixth grade right <laughs> so just really be aware that those are all arbitrary learning how kids learn is that they have this web of understanding so they'll notice a caterpillar calling in the grass and they're very sensory too so they'll like feel it look at it they might lick it like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no telling what they'll do Yes, exactly. They'll listen for any sounds that it makes. And then they'll like, log that experience away. It's very experiential. And then maybe two months later, they'll have another experience with, a, with an insect. And they'll get new information that will connect to the existing information that they already have in that web of understanding about insects. And it just builds and builds and builds and builds from there. And that is how all learning happens. There is no behind or ahead because learning is not linear. Like, even that language behind or ahead implies that learning progresses in a linear fashion. Yeah. And we know from studies and just decades, generations of research that that is not how human beings learn. Yeah. So, really try to like, Dismantle all that and set shove all of that. I say I was gonna say set, but like it's heavier than that, right? Like <laughs> shove,
0: bulldoze <laughs> <those> it
1: <in> aside, <laughs> and don't worry about any of that. Just connect with your kids and support them in their interests, and try and. I mean, this time right now is really really stressful. Like just, just enjoy your days. Like, can we let that be the bar of success? And I promise you. Everything else will shake out. And if you want to get really specific, like reading is one of the things that people have a lot of fears about. Your kids, think about how your kids learn to talk think about how your kids learn to walk. Like no one sat them down, made them run through rote exercises, drilled them on it, quizzed them on words, had them filling out worksheets about what vowels are. Like, no, they just, they just lived in a society with people talking and they learn to talk. They live amongst people who are walking and they learn how to walk. All of my kids have learned to read from reading books together. Like we love reading. We read books. They want to order their own food when we go to a restaurant. Like, so they got to figure out how to read the menu. They want to understand the instructions in a video game or they want to text their friends. Like, All of these things will unfold naturally. Like you can, you can trust in all of these things. And if your kid is feeling frustrated by a lack of growth in a certain area, then you can always support them with that. Uh, That's okay too. But if you kind of follow your kid's lead as opposed to following a school system's lead, you're going to get so much farther, quote unquote, ahead. Yes.
0: Yes. I love that. One of our biggest things is like my oldest loves to bake and she has learned numbers. She's learned, learning how to read through reading the recipe. And it's a lot of like, well, what, how many, how many eggs do I need? Well, I don't know. What number is that? (laughs) She'll (laughs) be like, uh, you know, and she'll figure it out because she wants to make that cake so bad that yes. she's gonna figure
1: out how much half a cup is or she's not making the cake yeah. yes and I, and, in know, chemistry and t- in, in baking there's chemistry there's fractions there's literacy there's, i mean there are fine motor skills like in any of these interests that your kids have there are so many like schooly subjects that are happening but they're happening in an actually it, the, the learning has context, which is something that is lacking if yeah. you're just focusing on that timeline or that stack of curriculum. It's not connected to anything in that web. It's just free floating and then it dies. Yes. <laughs> so if your kid's interested in eating a cake, you're like, cool, here's a recipe. <laughs> Let me know if you need any ingredients. Yeah, like, she was
0: learn. She was asking me about money. and This was several years ago and how much the value of all the different monies were. And yes. she's like, well, I don't need to know that because I'm going to be a baker. I'm going to own a bakery. And I was <laughs> like, well, babe, what do you think people pay with sweetheart? And like, you're going to have to pay your bills and like all this stuff. And she was like, yes. Oh, I have to do money. I just want to <laughs> bake. And, so it, but to her, After she realized she had to learn how to count money in order to be a baker, which is her dream, Mm -hmm. she's like, Oh, okay. I guess I'll learn how to do money. I mean, she wasn't too excited about it, but when she saw the dots connect, it made sense in her life plan.
1: Yes. Yes. Go to a grocery store and give your kid 40 bucks and send them with their list. And yeah, there's so much learning that will come from that. I love it. So, what
0: about? the people who I feel like some people are kind of doing this accidental homeschooling and they're kind of liking it. Like they are just loving to Uh be with their kids. And I have had so many of my friends who their kids go to public school and they're just like, Oh my gosh, this is great. I get like bonus time with my kids. I love (laughs) this. I wish this could always be life. Um, but the fact of what will they say? What will family members say? What will society say? If you start to live differently, what is your advice for them?
1: You there's, I get asked a lot about problems. Like people will come to me and say they have a problem and they'll describe the problem and sort of this filter. I always run it through is I say, is it a problem for your child? Is it a problem for you? Right. If the answer to those things is no, then it's not a problem. <laughs> So the the basic simple answer would be that I don't concern myself with other people and their opinions. And that requires doing a lot of that like mindfulness work of if I'm feeling suddenly very anxious, um, checking in with what's that about? Like, where's that coming from? What's lying underneath that? What like belief expectation do I need to like wrestle with and overturn? Like, so it's a sort of a willingness to do all of that. The other really important thing that I want to say about that is that if you are confident and happy in your life choices, people really don't say negative things about them. If you are stressed and frustrated and uh, people will step in with advice because they want to help alleviate that misery that you appear to be suffering through. So being confident in your choices and choosing happiness um in a, all of the moments that you can, that is how you will garner a more positive reception from your community and the people that are that are in your life.
0: I, I love that. And we have really faced that with everything, mm-hmm. our tiny house situation, our homeschooling, mm-hmm. our debt free mm-hmm. journey. I mean, we have like broken so many rules and people are like, Y'all okay? Like <laughs> And, you know and and they mean well i think most of the time and they most people you know your friends your family they they love you and they yeah. think they're giving you advice for what's best for you and that can be really challenging sometimes but
1: and ultimately like, it can boil down to boundaries so if you're doing yeah. all of, like if you're not concerning yourself with what other people think and you're living with confidence and joy And a specific person who is a permanent person in your life keeps bringing it up. Set boundaries. Like, I'm so um, grateful for all of the wisdom that you have to share with us. So on this particular issue, we really considered what you had to say. And then we did our own research and we got to know this specific child really well. And we've decided to do blank. Um, You don't have to agree with it, but you do have to respect it. Like just, boom, we're not having that conversation anymore. I love that. I love that. Um, so do you guys
0: have like an official family motto and is it something that is spoken, unspoken, something that you refer back to?
1: I have like tried wrestling with this question before. and I don't think that we do. I think like our values of, like, like joy and connection and freedom. Like if I had to boil it down to like three things, that would probably be it. I don't know if that fits into the template for a motto technically, Um, but that's really where we try to lean. It's like, it's, it's about our values, like personal growth and connection. And, and it makes decision-making really easy. It keeps our priorities really clear and it keeps us living and evolving in a really intentional direction that feeds our souls. (laughs) I love
0: that. Um, So we have one last question. We're about to run out of time. So let's end with this question of caring for yourself. And I know that you've already spoken a lot about boundaries, um, but caring for yourself, especially as a homeschooling mom, where you are with your kids. 98% of the time, probably as I am. (laughs) Um, and I know it's even more challenging when they're babies, toddlers, things like that. So how do you set those boundaries and make sure that you're caring for yourself as well?
1: I would suggest that you focus on integration. Um, I think a lot of people come into the parenting game really fixated on nourishing themselves in the same way they did before they had kids, which requires not being with kids. Right. Um, I, if you believe that your kids are preventing you from engaging in the self-care habits and routines that you require, um, I absolutely challenge you on that. Um, your kids are not what are stopping you. Uh, you are stopping you. So right. with some creativity there, there is always a way, um, to nourish yourself in the ways that you need and the ways that matter while living in connection with children. It might look different than it used to look, but it can still meet your needs. Yeah, I
0: totally agree. And I think that for me, sometimes that is waking up earlier, staying up later, if I really, really need that completely alone, quiet time. Mm -hmm. But the majority of my time is I journal with them right next to me. I, I draw a lot and They are climbing all over me, bumping my elbow while I'm trying to Mm -hmm. draw, but I'm still drawing and, you know, and I have to set those boundaries. Hey, remember I'm drawing, let's, let's not bump me, Yes, drawing, you know, or I do puzzles a lot and a lot of people are like, how do you do puzzles with such little kids? I mean, sometimes they mess them up. Sometimes they lose pieces, but I can't
1: just not do a puzzle because I have a four-year-old Yeah. And you're consistently showing up and holding the space for that self-care routine. And that's what it's about. If you're waiting for your kids to give you an invitation, that's not going to come. Like you have to hold the space for it and consistently show up for it.
0: Yeah. And when, and when they, they will mimic that. So then they will start to, you know, they'll pull out their book and start drawing or they'll pull out a puzzle or they'll, you know, go do something completely different, but they see me doing that self care routine. And I'll remind them, Hey, mama's having quiet time. Why don't you have some yep. quiet time? And that's also giving them that
1: language of like, Oh, okay. I need, yeah. So if you want to be with me in this moment, your voice has to be off, or yeah. you can go into the backyard and you can use a really loud sing. You can continue your very yeah. loud song. Yeah. Your be- <laughs> you can sing your beautiful song to the birds. I've said that many times. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to have to use that. I've never used that one. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good one. Okay. So we're, we're out of time. Um, but I appreciate you so much for taking time out and sharing all of your wisdom. And I know I could probably have you back on and we could probably talk for a whole nother hour. (laughs) I Um, I just appreciate you so much. Um, and of course I will link to all of your stuff, your amazing podcast, your beautiful website and your Instagram and everything. Um, so everyone can get to know you a little bit better and just thank you
1: so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sammy, for coming on my podcast. And thank you so much for having on, having me on to share a conversation with you. And we'll have to just think of some other excuses for us to be able to get together and yes. chat and let people listen in. <laughs> yes, I
0: love it. Okay. All right. Bye, guys. Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a sunny side up life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend because you never know who needs to hear this message. If you haven't already, please leave a review and subscribe reviews and subscribers are what help the podcast grow and what help new ladies find our community. And again, thanks for hitting play on this episode and for investing some time in yourself today. Remember that I'm always here to support you and I'm always cheering you on along the way. Don't forget that everything that we mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. All right, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.